Welcome to the Eastside Church Podcast. We're a community-driven church based in Charlotte, North Carolina, and invite you to join us on Sundays at 9 or 11 a.m. For more information, visit our website, eastsidechurch.co. If you've got your Bibles open with me, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'm going to be reading from a new Bible today that I just got, and the reason I'm doing that is because I just got it, and I can, and so I am. This is a book, this is a Bible, it's a, actually, um, it is a, um, uh, it's called Tree of Life version, and it actually is a Messianic Jew, Jewish Bible, it's also put out by Jack Hayford, which is the same one that we got out front, the Spirit-Filled Life Bible, he just does it from a Messianic Jewish standpoint, which some of the verbiage is really good as we read through it. So I'll be reading from that, and you're going to be reading from the New King James. But before I get started and before I forget, the men have a cookout tonight at 6.30. Six Four. Four. At what time? Four. Yeah, at 4. <laughs> Uh, they're going to be cooking steaks. I think I think they're cranking up the grill at about 2.30 or so or something like that, starting to get it hot. So you, there'll be somebody here uh, then as well. So come on out and join them as they as, uh, as the men uh, get together and just have a great time of fellowship. Also, this weekend we did a, uh, we trained eight pastors on, um, it's called Prepare and Enrich. It's a marriage enrichment program. And it is... Um, it is designed to help strengthen marriages. One of the best ways that we can be a witness in the community is to have a strong biblical marriage. So let me just ask a question. How many in the room have a perfect marriage? No flaws. There is one, two guys that are trying to keep their uh, wives happy, and they're willing to do anything, including lie in church. <laughs> to, to keep everything calm at the house. You know, we all need, we all need work. And one of the things these guys are going to do is they're going to go through the program with their wife. It is, it is designed to strengthen. If you have all strengths, it's designed to strengthen your strengths. I mean, it, it, it's just a great program. So eight guys are trained to do that. We, I encourage you. Uh, so let me see if I can get all these guys in here. So, so it is uh, Brock Nevitt. It is Robert Britt. Um, uh, Michael Wallace. Uh, Aubrey Cochran, Dr. Joe, uh, um, Brandon Sharp, me, and that's all of our guys. We had a bunch of other pastors here as well, but they all have been trained as fantastic material. I encourage you to hook up with them. Guys, don't be scared. It's nothing to be scared of. Somebody say Amen. I can feel the room just like. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to Hebrews real quick. Chapter 2. Keep your finger in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul is writing this as well. This is... Um, Written in the in the with the idea that Jesus came to set the captives free, he came to set the prisoners free, right? Which we were one, 
and we are being set free. We were set free. We are being set free. He says this, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, Jesus, likewise shared the same humanity, so that through death he might break the power of the one who had the power of death. Let me read that one more time. It's so good. I want to read it again. He himself likewise shared in the same humanity as you and I do, so that through the de his death, he might break the power of the one who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who by fear of death were in bondage all their lives. They were in bondage for all their life. So today, what we want to talk about and what I want to kind of get into a little bit is the, the key to the kingdom that God gives us. He gives us dominion over the fear of death. It says about you and me that we can be held captive by the one who used to have the dominion to bring fear over death, but that Jesus came so that we would have life and not have to fear death. It says in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that the last enemy that will be destroyed will be death. So we know that in the second coming of Jesus, that death once and for all is going to be destroyed. It's going to be defeated. That word destroyed literally means to be out of business. Death will be out of business. There will be no more death. In other words, it will no longer have an effect. It will no longer be operational. Death will be bankrupt. Somebody say hallelujah to that. When Jesus comes again, death will utterly be defeated. The New King James Version in uh, chapter 15, which we're about to read, says that it will be uh, swallowed up in victory. The message says that death will be swallowed up by the triumphant life. But there is a doing away with the power of death. And so today, I want to talk about, as we wait for Jesus' return to come in all of his glory and defeat death ultimately, I want to share about the dominion that he gave believers today the here and now, the dominion he gave us over death and how Satan's tactics can keep you living in prison of fear of death. And so to do that, I'm going to begin to read 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now, you're going to have it on the screen here in the New King James Version. I'm going to be reading it from this new Messianic Jew version, the Tree of Life Version, but I like it. So I'm going to read it there. <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's close. You'll be able to follow along. Now I make known to you, brothers and sisters, the good news which I proclaim to you. You also received it, and you took stand on it. And by it you are being saved if you hold firm to the word I proclaim to you. Boy, I love that if. unless you believe without proper consideration. For I also passed on to you, first of all, what I also received. 
that Messiah, this is what he received, this is what he passed on, these things, that Messiah died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Kepha, then to the twelve, then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, though some have died. Then he appeared to Jacob, then to all the emissaries, and last of all, as to one ultimately born, he also appeared to me, untimely born. He also appeared to me, talking about himself, Paul. For I am the least of the emissaries, unworthy to be called an emissary, because I persecuted God's community. Verse 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Say that with me. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Man, that's just like Paul, right? By the grace of God, by the power of God, working in me that can do something that I can't do on my own, I am what I am. His grace toward me was not in vain. Man, I, I want to say that again too. His grace in me was not in vain. Say that out loud. Say it loudly with me. His grace in me was not in vain. Wow. No, I worked harder than them all, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Rather than it is I, whether then it is I or they, so we proclaim, and so you believed. Now, if Messiah is proclaimed that he has been raised from the dead, how can some among you say there is no resurrection from the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Messiah has been raised. And if Messiah has not been raised, then our proclaiming is meaningless and your faith also is meaningless. Moreover, we are found to be false witnesses of God because we testified about God that he raised up Messiah, whom he did not raise up if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Messiah has been raised. And if Messiah has not been raised, your faith is futile because you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Messiah have perished. If we have hoped in Messiah in this life alone, we are to be pitied more than all people. But now, Messiah had, but now Messiah has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also came through a man. Now, if you'll notice, it is capitalized in Scripture. The first man is not, the second man is, because the second man is referring to Jesus. The first man is referring to Adam. For as in Adam all die, so also in Messiah will all be made alive. But each 
in its own order, Messiah, the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Messiah. Then the end, when he hands over the kingdom of God to God, the kingdom to God, the Father, after he has destroyed all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Say that with me. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection underneath his feet. But when the psalmist says that, quote, unquote, all has been put in subjection, it is clear that this does not include God himself, who put all things under Messiah. Now, when all things become subject to him, God, the Father, then the Son himself will also become subject to the one who put all things under him so that God may be all in all. Now, this is a beautiful passage of Scripture that shows us why we shouldn't think submission is a bad word. Because Jesus says, I do everything I see the Father do, and I say everything I hear the Father say. Jesus was always, always, always in subjection, submission to the Father. And this passage of Scripture is saying to you and me, when, when, this, when this event occurs, which he's about to explain in a little bit more detail, when this event occurs, then, then Jesus' role as Messiah, as the Christ, the one who's going to come to take away the sins of the world, who's going to redeem man to God, that particular aspect of who Jesus with was will be done away with. In other words, there will be no more need for redemption or reconciliation. It'll be over. It'll be done with. There will be no more sin. There will be no more tears. There will be no more death. There will be no more anything contrary to the will and the ways of God. And so there will be no more need for Jesus' role as Redeemer. It will be done. And then eternity will begin in perfect peace, perfect love, perfect submission. Doesn't that sound good? Can anybody tell me what verse I might be in? Thank you so very much. I'm reading 28. Now, when all things became subject to him, then the Son himself will also become subject to the one, capital O, one who put all things under him so that God may be all in all. Otherwise, what will they do who are immersed for the dead? Now, this is an interesting passage of Scripture I'm not going to even talk about, so don't be thinking about it. it now, that probably will make you think about it. <laughs> If the dead are not raised at all, then why are they immersed for them? And why are we in danger every hour? I die every day, yes, as surely as the boast in you, brothers and sisters, which I have in Messiah, Yahshua, our Lord. 
If for human reasons I fought with the wild animals at Ephesus, what good is that to me if the dead are not raised? In other words, everything he just said is what good is that if the dead are not raised? Let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Do you not see that that spirit is all over our culture? Live and eat and drink for tomorrow we die. And, and Paul writes to the church and says, don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Isn't it interesting to find something that you're familiar with like that in context? You know, we use that bad company corrupts good morals all the time. But what he's talking about is not believing in the resurrection of the dead. And the hope that that brings to the believer. Come to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. For some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. But someone would say, how are the dead raised? Really take note. I really want you to hear this. How many of you have heard of the, uh, of the parable of, the, uh, of when Jesus said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you could move a mountain? You've, you've heard that? Uh, th this is that particular verse and anything else that comes with this is going to come alive for you here in just a moment. But someone will say, how are the dead raised and with what kind of body do they come? Paul calls them who ask that question a fool. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. As for what you sow, you are not sowing the body that will be, but a bare seed, maybe of wheat or something else. But God gives it a body just as he planned, and to each of the seeds a body of its own. All flesh is not the same, but there is one flesh of humans, one flesh of animals, another of birds, and another of fish. There are also heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly body is one thing, while the earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars. For one star differs from another star in glory." Verse 42, so also is the resurrection of the dead, sown in corruption, raised in incorruption, sown in dishonor, raised in glory, sown in weakness, raised in power, sown a natural body, raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. So also it is written, the first man, Adam, being a living soul, the last Adam being a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man is of the earth, made of dust. The second man is from heaven. Like the one made of dust, so also those made of dust are like the heavenly. Well, excuse me, let, me, let me start over. Like the one made of dust, so also are those made of dust. And like the heavenly, so also are those who are heavenly. And just as we have borne the image of the one man from the dust, being Adam, so also shall we bear the image of the one from heaven, being Jesus Messiah. Somebody say amen. Amen. Now I say this, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And what decays cannot inherit what does not decay. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. 
in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last shofar. For the shofar will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we will be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruptible and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this corruptible will have put on incorruptible and this mortal will have put on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? <laughs> Where, O oh, death, is your sting? Now the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the Torah. But thanks be to God who keeps giving us the victory through our Lord Yahshua, the Messiah. Therefore, my dearly loved brethren, be steadfast, immovable. We just sang this, y'all. Michelle, we just sang. You didn't have any idea. <laughs> Therefore, my dear beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So fear comes at us as believers, the tactics of the enemy to get you to fear death really comes at you in two ways. First of all, it comes at you as a fear of the physical death, the physical body. We, we fear dying oftentimes as believers. It also manifests as a fear that, you, that your life is not going to count for its intended purposes. That our physical death occurs sometimes, or those that we love, their physical death occurs sometimes because our prayers fell to the ground and died. Somehow Satan convinces us that our prayers can't do much. You know, all of us have, at some point or, or another, Hopefully, if you haven't, stick around long enough here and you're going to see it. But hopefully you've either prayed for someone or you've, you've been praying for someone and you realize that they were healed miraculously, that they got a miraculous healing from God. How many in the room have had a miraculous healing from God? Would you say testify? Why don't we stand up all over the room? If you've had a miraculous healing from God, would you stand to your feet? I love this right here. That's awesome. Let's give the Lord praise for that. Just a few. My son had what looked like MS. Uh, it didn't quite get diagnosed because we prayed it away so quick. But everything about it was MS for about six weeks. There's the nerve damage. You can't even see it unless you know what you were looking for. I've got x-rays of a extra artery that God built from the bottom of my heart around to the top of my heart that you don't have to bring life to the left top side of my heart. Praise That's God. Thank you. a pretty incredible thing. We see God do, we're about to have baby number three when you're not supposed to have baby number one. 
But we also see people struggle with having children. We also see people that heart don't get healed. We also see people who do have MS. And we've even prayed for those people. And even though we've seen victory in some, just as we prayed in others, we don't see the victory as we prayed for it. And sometimes what that does to us as believers is it makes us fearful that if we really pray and believe God about bringing a miraculous healing to somebody, that seed's going to fall to the ground. It's not going to do anything. And so I'm not going to pray at all. And so what we do is we push back from praying for somebody because we're scared they're not going to be healed. When we do that as believers, we're giving death dominion over us. It is the biggest way that death gets dominion over the church that I know of. The first one is that we fear death and we have a wrong impression of what death might really be. The second is we're fearful that our prayers are going to hit the ground and not going to accomplish what we pray for. And that somebody that we love is not going to get healed. Anybody experience that? Am I talking to anybody or just myself? It's just, it's just the way it is. And so what I want you to understand is, and I want to begin to walk in, is the idea that Satan is trying to gain dominion over you. And what we read first is that you can live your life captive of the fear of death forever as a believer. And Paul is writing to the church. He wrote to the church in Hebrews, and he's writing in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that you have dominion over the fear of death. And there's a couple of reasons why you should have that fear. And the first one is that when we want to respond rightly as a believer, when somebody really gets sick. Now, when I say really gets sick, I mean when you hear a diagnosis of stage four cancer. Tim, I'm just reminded of the things that I got. Prayer that you just had a very close friend that just went to be with the Lord. Just, just last week, I believe it was. Just this week. And we prayed and prayed and prayed. And what that does, that tends to make you back off. But, but, but it's because of a little bit of a misconception and, and we don't need to allow that to happen. Matter of fact, I'm going to propose to you today that when we hear of situations like that again, and, and, and I encourage you, you know, we had uh, Sarah was in the first service who just lost her husband last week at a very young age. But I'm going to encourage you, when you hear that somebody needs a desperate touch from God, when you find that somebody's in despair, and if Jesus doesn't touch them, they don't have any hope, that that is when we buck up and we say, we're going to stand firm, we're going to be sound, we're going to be established, and we're not shrinking back. That's what that song meant. That's what was being said to the gal who wrote the song. And she began to proclaim who she was in Christ. And she didn't shrink back. And the devil would have you shrink back. But how we think rightly is, is in these times, we've got to 
begin to respond as if we believe and have our hope. So we have to soberly ask ourselves the question, do we really believe that the ultimate victory for a Christian is to be in the presence of Jesus? See, we've got death all messed up. We've got it all messed up. God says he rejoices when one of his kids come home. There's a party. There's a rejoicing. And as believers, when we pray, do we, do we pray and expect healing? And then if we don't get it, are we discouraged to the point where we believe that what we prayed for either didn't have the power on it, we didn't have the faith to get it done, or somehow what we expected the victory to be didn't happen and we allowed death to take back a little bit of dominion because we become unsure of ourselves. Instead, we ought to be fired up that a believer is in the presence of Jesus. Because that whole passage of Scripture says, if you can imagine with me an apple seed or an orange tree seed or whatever seed you want to think about being in the palm of your hand. Paul is saying that that's what it's like to be in this body, that we're a seed, and unless that seed is planted, it can't grow an apple tree. So don't expect when you go to heaven, when you cross over, that you're going to be an apple seed or you're going to be this. You're not going to be this because the apple seed doesn't grow up and look like an apple seed. The apple seed grows up and looks like an incredible tree that bears all this kind of fruit. And then he begins to compare the creativity of God and says, God's got this seed sitting here in this church. And he can grow something beautiful that carries the glory and the characteristics of the creator God in the image and likeness of Jesus that was born from a seed that doesn't look anything like the glory of what it's going to be look like when it goes and puts on the incorruptible. And so when I see and think about your friend who loved the Lord and was passionate for him. He's no longer a seed, Tim. He is flourishing. He is in his glorious body. He's in the presence of the Lord. He has ultimate victory. It's not a second-hand, second-class healing. Well, I guess, God, you couldn't heal a bill on earth, so I guess you just come on home. You know, you couldn't do the best. <laughs> Paul said it this way. He was in a Roman dungeon in prison, and he wrote to the church at Philippi, and he said this, to live is Christ, which means as long as I'm here on this earth, I want to be doing what Jesus called me to do. I want to be going about the business of the kingdom. But I'd rather be home. <laughs> to live is Christ, but to die is better. 
To die would be better. But it's not my time. And so while I'm here, I'm going to be about business. I'm going to be about Christ's business. Paul is correcting the church from where they're thinking. If there's no resurrection, if, if there's no hope in this resurrection, the corruptible is going to be exchanged for the incorruptible. How many of you who are married and wouldn't raise your hands for going to counseling a minute ago wish and hope that you get to see your incorruptible mate in heaven? Isn't that going to be glorious? I can't wait till Liz gets to see me without my flaws. Yes? Isn't that going to be glorious? I mean, I don't have many flaws. <laughs> Think about that for a moment. We're not going to be this see this this portion this this thing that's going to be birthed into something beautiful. It's not some afterthought of God. It is victory. Final victory. And our hope and everything about what we believe rests on the hope of the resurrection. Paul says if there's no resurrection or our hope is not placed in that, we're the most pitiful creatures on the planet. That our religion and our spirituality is pitiful. It is the hope of the resurrection that should drive us and stir us to stand firm and confident that my God is able to bring healing and health and a miracle in this situation on this earth. And if this person's time is not done, then they will stay. If it's done, they're going to be a beautiful, glorious creature in the most ultimate victory in the presence of Jesus. Do you think the devil can snatch anybody from his hand prematurely? He cannot. And when we fear things, it's giving him credit as if he can. And it brings dominion back to Satan for our fear of death and puts us in prison. So we've got to believe and ask ourselves, do, do we really believe that the ultimate victory for a Christian is to be with Jesus? Let me give you... <laughs> Michael must have went over. Let me give you... <laughs> let me give you what this doesn't mean. To have a hope and an expectation of a glorious victory in the kingdom doesn't mean that we should stop praying for miracles and healing on this earth. Because God sent us to do that. He sent us to destroy the works of darkness. Sickness is not from God. Yeah. 
Sickness is caused by sin, and when sin enters the world, sickness enters the world. And our job as believers and representatives of the family of God and the ambassadors of Christ is to fight all hellish forces that would come against the body of Christ and the world. And as long as we're on two feet, we're going to be doing that. And so it doesn't mean that we shouldn't be fighting for miracles and healing. The enemy would love to intimidate believers into not praying for people that, that are sick and dying because if he can intimidate us, then, then that fear of death begins to win out. We need to, uh, when somebody really needs us the most, we need to really be praying hardest. We need to be fighting the hardest in prayer and intercession that they be healed. We don't need to be shrinking back because here's the truth. God says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, verse 57 and 58 through Paul to the church at Corinth, he says that as we labor, no matter what we pray, no matter whether we see somebody healed the way we anticipate them being healed or the way we have faith for them to be healed, that our prayers and our ministry is not in vain. 1 Corinthians 15, 57 58 says this, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. The New Living Translation says, Nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. It's never useless. That means we should always love, even when we get rejected. That means we should always pray. And witness always, even when people don't receive it. It means that we should pray for healing always, even when somebody is sick and doesn't get healed. It means that we should always seek the face of God mightily when somebody's facing death. It doesn't mean we should shrink back. And even if they go be with the Lord, we must continue to be steadfast, immovable, unshakable. Yes? yes? It's the position of the church. It's the call of the church. The thing that we need as the church is not allow Satan to have dominion over us because we fear death. God says if you're a believer, you never die. You just move from glory, from here to glory. And so, we've got to understand that. But I think the biggest mindset shift and the biggest paradigm shift that the church needs to get a hold of is that being with Jesus is the ultimate victory and heaven is the ultimate reward. We must remember that being with the Lord in glory is not an unwelcome alternative to more days on this side of eternity. You want me to repeat that? We must remember that being with the Lord in glory is not an unwelcomed alternative to more days on this side of eternity.
that's a shift. Heaven is not a cheap reward. It was purchased by the blood of Jesus, Messiah. And Jesus promised he was going to go and prepare a place for his beloved church. And he would receive us to himself. He is preparing a place, excited to see you in your glorified, uncorruptible body. In his likeness. That's the hope of the church. Paul says, without that hope, we're a pitiful bunch. We can rest assured as believers that when our temporal lives on this earth have run its course, we can have a hope for heaven. Because heaven is a place where there's no more sickness, no more pain, no more death. No more sin. Death has been banished forever. It is bankrupt. It doesn't exist. Can you imagine a place that death doesn't exist? It's where we will be in the presence of Jesus under his watchful care under his wonderful rule and in the center of his light in the center of his life in the center of his love <coughs> everything about this church has to do with believing for people to be healed Physically, soulishly, emotionally, in every way. And we can't fear death. And we can't be rendered ineffective because the fear of death has us imprisoned. We got to stand firm. We got to stand fast. When people need us most, we got to pray hard. We got to believe. We've got to have faith that if our God speaks and touches it, if their day is not done, Satan has no power over this situation. No dominion. No authority. God does it. God brings it. God finishes it. But if the clock's over, seed to glory. That's good, isn't it? Don't you ever feel sorry for me if I go before you. <laughs> and certainly don't feel sorry for you. She's going to be rejoicing. She's going to be saying, hallelujah. <laughs> After a week. She'll mourn for a week, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> That's why it's a celebration. Will we miss each other? Eh. It's short. It's short. You know why I was reminded of this? My daddy's birthday was yesterday. Short. <laughs> Glory. Won't be long. Won't be long. Whoever you've lost that are in Christ won't be long. All their corruptible garbage 
that you saw in them? Gone. Incorruptible? Yes. Glory. So my prayer for you, mindset change, paradigm shift. We're not fearful of somebody dying. They're in the Lord's hands. It doesn't have anything to do with your faith. All you need is the faith of a mustard seed. You just need just a little bit. And you can't go to the Lord and pray for somebody to be healed without faith. Just a little bit. It's not about you. It's about whether God's grace is sufficient to bring healing into this situation and whether their days are numbered. And it isn't about you at all. Don't let Satan lie to you. You go boldly to the throne of grace, praying for healing and a miraculous work of Jesus. And if they die, rejoice. Because they just went into glory. Will we miss them? Absolutely. Will we have emotion? Absolutely. Will we mourn? Absolutely. But in that mourning, we don't have to mourn like those who don't have any hope. Yes? Let's stand for closing prayer. Thanks for listening to the Eastside Church Podcast. If you have any questions or need more information, visit our website, eastsidechurch.co.